So today we're going to continue in our series, Once Upon a Time, and I think I'm going to do this one more week. I, I don't know, I've got about 10 more of these I want to preach to you. There's so many great stories in the Bible, especially the Old Testament. But uh, I've got to get on to the next sermon series, and I think I'm going to do one more next week. But today's going to be about Esther and True North. Just before we get to some scripture, have a word of prayer, and get to this message, though, I want to tell you about something else exciting. A lot of exciting stuff happened around 2911. Amen? I mean, just, uh, you know, if you're bored then you need to talk to somebody because there's plenty, plenty of stuff going on and you can be involved in and, and uh, helping us do some great ministry. And something that we've, been, uh, we've known about for uh, you know, probably uh, three and a half years or more that we were going to do at 2911. We've just been waiting on this day and the day's not here yet, but the day is getting close now. And so just want to share with you. And something that we've <clears throat> kind of had a lot more direction on in the last year but the last six weeks, there have been a lot of prayer going into, and, and now it's about time that we're uh, beginning to start laying groundwork and beginning to move in this direction that we are looking to uh, assist in planting another church. Uh, and uh, this, is, this is something that has been from our, our inception, from our launch, something that we wanted to do. Uh, Britton and Haley uh, came to us last year, and knowing they were going to be with us for a short time. And uh, they are now in the early stages, the early process of praying about, and especially the last six weeks, been a lot of prayer going into the finality of, of exactly when, where, and those things. And I'm telling you this this morning because I want you to know this is an exciting thing for us because th- this is something that we did. We invited, please come on in, be a part of the staff, get involved, let us pour into you what we can, let our church get to know you so we can pray for you. And and I know this probably scares a lot of pastors out there, it may even scare some of you too, that we are anticipating that there will be some people from 2911 that God will lay on their heart, give them a burden for this new church plant and say, I want to be a part of that. And even starting next month, uh, probably next month in the month of June, no, no final date has been set, uh, he's going to begin meeting with uh, some that have an interest. And if you want, So here, here's where we're at. Understand this. Planting a church is not an event. It's a process. Okay? It's a long process. It's not, it's not about, you know, two or three, two or three weeks now. We're going to know this is a process. We are just really beginning the process right now. And so what we need you to do is we need you to be praying, praying hard, praying for them, praying for God to give them uh, favor, open doors that need to open, close doors that might lead them in the wrong direction and help them, help them see and understand what God uh, has for them. And we're going to have a lot of prayer over them over the next, you know, and, and, and you know, who knows how long it'll be. I mean, there's some, there's some thoughts and dates uh, of when we can, but I, I mean, those things are based on how everything comes together. So be praying about that and be praying about those, you know, and, and what that, you know, you need to hear this. You need to understand. When we talk about you've got a place to minister and to serve, you've got something to do for the kingdom of God. I know a lot of people, they come into the church and they think, man, they've got it all covered. You don't understand. We look like we've got it covered. We've got holes right now that we're, we're just covering and filling. But we're also wanting to send out and do more ministry than we're doing right now. And that means we are in a constant need of more people to come and say, I'm ready to do something great for God. Because it's time for some, possibly, to, uh, some of you maybe, even to jump on board with them and say, hey, I want to do this. I want to be a part, and if that's the case, that means there's going to be another hole, and so you need to find that place, and, and man, that's just a great introduction today, uh, 4 o'clock, 301, if you have never been, if you've never been to the growth track, you need to come to the growth track, and if you, if you want to start at 101 next month, that's fine, in a couple of weeks you can start, 
Uh, but if you've, if you've been to 101 or 201, then please be here this afternoon at 4 o'clock for 301. Because you need to find the place where you belong ministering and serving to God. And if, and if you're saying that, hey, I think this may be where I want to be, hey, come and let us pour everything we've got as 2911 into you so that you can be the very best uh, team member for their launch. Uh, when this happens, okay? So I want you to be praying about that and thank God for the, uh, th- thank God for the, you know, this was something, and I'll t- I tell you this, this is one of the, I guess this is one of the, my concerns a little bit, is that I know that most churches, most churches are planted by new churches. And most churches are planted by churches running between 150 and 300. You know, I know you think, well, those running 1,000 or two, those are the ones that can plant a church, but they don't. They've got the big buildings, they've got the big staff budgets and all those things, and they've gotten to the place now where they can't afford to do that because they've gotten too big and they've gotten too much that they've got to take care of. And, and, and most churches are planted by other churches within the first two years, and if a church doesn't plant something within its first two or three years, then it's probably likely to never plant another church. And that's why it's, that's why it's really a concern of mine that, that God, you know, if we're going to do this, we've got we to gotta do this in a hurry, but at the same time do it according to your direction. So thank God for this opportunity that, that now what we have known for all this time is finally going to happen. Now, let me ask you this. Does that excite you or scare you to death? <laughs> Man, it excites me because I know this is what God has had on our heart for all this time. And I'm going to be talking to you about that in sermons. You're going to hear it come up in sermons. You're going to hear it. And this is, this is the process. Be praying about it. Let's get to our message right now. What I want to do first is I want to read you some scripture from the book of Esther, kind of set this up, tell you a story, and, uh, and then challenge you with something at the end. And so let's go to Esther chapter 2, verses 15 through 19. It says, When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted the daughter of his uncle Abihel. When it came Esther's time to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and his officials and proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. And when the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Queen Esther, and she was just a... A Jewish maiden. She was a nobody. They didn't even know she was a Jew. That'll come up in a few moments. She got to the place of being the queen, not because she was of royal blood. No, she was a stranger. She was an alien. She was one of those, and they used to do this, that when, uh, uh, when they would conquer a, a people, they would, many times they would just kind of disperse them. They would scatter them because they didn't want them to come back together and form an army and, and attack again. And she was one of those kind of displaced and now she was a part of this kingdom, and yet she rose to be the queen, the queen of, uh, of, of the Persian Empire, which stretched all the way from India to Ethiopia. I don't know if you see it on a map on that, but think about that. That's a pretty good empire, and she became the queen of that empire. And while she was getting to that place, I want you to get this before we have a word of prayer and get in this message real quick, is that she was totally immersed in a culture that didn't know her God, and had no, had no intentions or desire or hunger to know who her God was. She was totally immersed in this culture, this society, this secular society that, 
had nothing to do with religion and the way she understood religion and relationship with God. Yet in the middle of all this, in the middle of all these things, and people telling her, no, this is the way, and this is the way, and this is what is right, and hey, just live for yourself, and all this stuff, in the middle of all that, she was able somehow, how in the world, how in the world, and I've looked at this so many times, how in the world this woman was able to maintain focus, to stay on course, to not lose the direction that God had given her. And that's why I've titled the sermon today, True North. How she was able to stay focused on heading toward True North. Not, not get pulled to the side this way or that way. Not get confused by all the stuff that was going on around her. But, but stay focused so that God could take her to his perfect, beautiful, awesome dream. She became the queen in the middle of that. And, and, and for Brandon, for our graduates today, this sermon is for you. But it's not just for them, it's for you as well. I mean, here we are in, in, in Gardendale, Alabama. You know, it's still a very... Bible-based area and community, North Jefferson County. I mean, you know, there's a, a whole lot of Bible-believing people. Even those that don't go to church, most of them believe the Bible. But you're going to walk in some places, even though it may just be to downtown Birmingham at UAB, you're going to walk in some places where that's not the case. You're going to walk in some places this week, and maybe and some of you are connected in, in your jobs to other people's, and you're going to walk in places where people don't believe like you believe. Yeah, what you've got to do is you've got to find the way to, to maintain your direction to true north. And don't be pulled away here or there. You've got to maintain that because God has a beautiful, awesome dream for your life. And it cannot be fulfilled if you succumb to the society and the culture that we are immersed in today. Let's pray and let's ask God to challenge us with this message. God, I love you, Lord. There's so much I need to say, Lord, in these, in these few moments, and I need you to just help me, God, to get as much of this out as I can. And I pray, God, you challenge us, and I pray, God, you help us. And, and God, God, help us not, not just do this for doing it, but God, do this so that we can see your awesome dream come to place in all of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. God, God direct the rest of the service. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now, let me tell you what True North is. Anybody know what I'm talking about, True North? as opposed to magnetic north. You ever heard the two terms? True north and magnetic north, aren't they the same thing? North is north, right? No, they're not the same thing because true north is, is really a physical place on the, on the globe, on, like on a map. That's true north. But magnetic north changes. Now, I knew this a long time ago that magnetic north and true north weren't the same thing, but I didn't realize magnetic north was actually changing. And, so, and, and the difference between true and magnetic north is, decla- uh, is called declination, which is, is like a deviation between, between the two. And it's the deviation between true and magnetic north that is uh, th- this declination. This is, the, this, this is the, the subject here this morning I don't want you to think about. And, and what is going on is, is inside the earth, you know, the, the core of the earth is molten. You know, it's, it's not solid. And because it's molten, you know, it's like it's, it's moving and it's churning. Whenever there's seismic activity, when anything major happens in the earth, there's something going on inside as well. And the core inside the earth has a lot of iron in it. And, you know, iron is very definitely, you know, a very magnetic substance. And so as it is churning, it is actually moving around inside of the earth. And as it is moving, it, it, it is changing the magnetic north that you and I have because it changes the north. And, 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 and this is called a, it's called a secular uh, variation. It's called a secular variation. And when, when I read that, I thought, wow, what, what an awesome example to us. That here's what, here's what happens. It's when you use a compass 
You can't just use the compass, but you also have to use a declination map. Now, that's a declination map there. And I don't, you can see all those lines on it. And here's what you, if you're using a compass, and, and if you use a compass and, and you just, just follow the compass because of the difference, that's, this uh, declination between true north and magnetic north, if you're not careful, in just a short trip, you'll be 100 feet off. You say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, it is if you're, you know, if you're stepping off somebody's property. I mean, you know, 100 feet you know, on somebody's property is a pretty good bit. But for, on a long journey, it would be several miles that you could be off. I mean, it could be up to maybe 10 degrees or even more, 20 degrees that you could be off. And so on a long trip, I mean, you could miss an entire island if you were out in the middle of the ocean. And so you have to use this. You know, I, I, I never knew that. I, I just thought they were the same, but they're constantly moving because of, of the things going on in the earth. Get that, the things going on inside the earth because of the upheavals, because of the problems, because of the stuff happening in the earth Magnetic north is changing, and the compass reacts to magnetic north. And so you will not get to your destination if you're just following the compass in magnetic north. You've got to make sure you have a declination map, the map, something that keeps you on, tra- on track and on target. And, and as, as I was thinking, I don't know if any of y'all put two and two together where I'm going with this, but it's a perfect picture to me. It's what's going on in our lives is we all have an internal compass. Our society, our culture has an internal compass. And things begin to feel right to us or to our society. Things begin, you know, and every time there's something major that happens, the world has to react to it just like that core. And there's a churning that is going on. And right now in our country, in the United States of America, this one nation under God, there's a lot of churning that is going on. And the secular variation is is turning. You see these maps, these declination maps, you can't buy one today and use it 100 years from now because it's constantly changing. And and they'll have to change the map over and over and over. And the same thing's happening in our our culture right here in our country is is that it's changing. And what used to be true north in most people's minds, is no longer true north. And people, I, I mean, yesterday, it, it blew me away. It blew me away when I heard that the NAACP came out in support of gay marriage. Because the NAACP, to me, I, I, I know it's, it's, a, it's a political thing and it supports uh, the advancement of colored people, but uh, it has always been, it is, uh, you know, it's always been this, 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 uh, this association, this amalgamation of all these religious people in our country that have stood for, and for them to come out and say, well, even though the Bible says this, we believe we ought to be inclusive. That's part of secular variation that is happening in our culture, in our world today. And if you're not careful, what will happen to you is you'll say in your heart, well, yeah, I kind of feel that too. And your heart will lie to you, just like a compass that is being impacted by magnetic north will, will lie to you. Your heart can lie to you. Even, even your, your, your closest friends and confidants, they can, they can, without meaning to, they can give you a false impression or understanding of things. And if you're not careful, you'll be following what appears to be the right path, but you'll be getting off by 10, 20 degrees until finally you're totally lost in your process. And so what we have to do is what? We have to keep going back to the map. You got a map. Y'all have a map. Anybody not have a map, you need to go get your map. If you don't have it, let me tell you, I carry a map with me on my cell phone called the Bible app. I mean, that's the, that's the map I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Bible. And that whenever something seems to be right, whenever something feels right, we always need to check it by the map and make sure the declination map is reminding us, no, this is off base and this is not my will, God says. Stay on track, true north, because God has a 
perfect, beautiful, awesome plan for your life like he did for Esther. So let me tell you some of the story of Esther. And i got to hurry with this. But Esther, Esther, the, the story begins with King Xerxes. King Xerxes, I mean, he was a proud man. He ruled this whole uh, realm from, excuse me, from uh, India to Ethiopia. And he got so egotistical about himself, so proud, that he had this six-month celebration of who he was. Now, this was only in his third year. He had only been, he had only been over the kingdom for two-plus years. So in his third year, he decided he would have this celebration. And you know, it wasn't about his greatness, his majesty, or his, uh, his ability to conquer because somebody else pretty much handed it to him. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't his that he did. But this celebration was about all of his riches. It was about how, how beautiful everything was that he owned and about all this. So he took six months to celebrate, and he brought people in from, you know, from all over. People were coming and come and go and come and go. For six months, they celebrated how awesome he was. And then at the end of the six months, he had a feast. He had a banquet for everybody. Everybody, even the poor people, could come into the banquet. For seven days, they had a banquet. They feasted. And he, and he issued a rule that no one was to cut anyone off from liquor. You drink all the alcohol, you drink all the wine you want to drink, and nobody's going to tell you you can't drink anymore. So guess what? By the seventh day of this feast, everybody was pretty, you know, pretty happy or asleep or something, right? Including King Xerxes. And here's, here's what happened to him. Is, is he was kind of now totally drunk and beside himself. And so what, what he decided he would do is, is he said, i got to show everybody the jewel of my kingdom, the most beautiful thing that I've got. Everybody's seen all this stuff, but i got to show them the very, most, the, the very most beautiful thing in my kingdom. And so he sent for his queen, Queen Vashti, and he wanted her to come in. She was having a feast, a, a banquet for all the women. And so he sent for her. He wanted her to come in, you know, in, in her prettiest you know, robe and her, her big beautiful tiara and he wanted her to come in and just parade herself around and let everybody see how beautiful she was. Now this is a queen and he's basically saying, hey, come put on a fashion show for all us drunken men. You know what she said? I'm not coming. She refused. She was offended. When, when word got back to him, he was angry because he was drunk. You know, he was angry, he was mad, and he said, what am I going to do with it? And so he started asking some of those closest to him. And you know what, they, they were concerned. They said, man, if, the, if the, the wife of the king can, you know, can tell him no, then how, you know, how much more? Our wives at home, they're going to tell us no when we tell them they need to do something. And they said, here's what you're going to have to do, king. You need to issue a decree, issue an edict that she is to be banished from you and never come to before you again. The king said, that sounds good. And so he banished her, and they finished the feast. Now, after he sobered up, after he had spent a little time without his wife, I mean, this was his wife. He had concubines. He had a harem. He had, he had other women that were like secondary wives that, that he took, and, and, and we won't discuss the, uh, all the ramifications of that and how that's all wrong, but, I mean, he had all of that. But this woman was someone that was special to him, and he began to miss her. And, and he missed her, and, and, and in his heart he was kind of wanting to reunite with her. But those that had given him the advice of, uh, of banishing her, they knew that if he reunited with her and he, he began to reunite in his spirit, they knew he's probably going to get mad at us because, you know, we're the ones that banished us. So they had to come up with an idea real quick. And ABC thought they came up with the idea of The Bachelor. But it was actually these guys that uh, were helping him because, you know what they did? I mean, 
they did a bachelor. They did a, uh, they did a, a, a series of the bachelor. He was the bachelor, and they gathered young virgins from all over the kingdom, and they brought them to him, and each one of them had a one-on-one date with him. Okay, those of you that's watched The Bachelor, y'all know what, they had the one-on-one date. And, and, and I'll tell you, you know, sometimes, I mean, we used to watch The Bachelor, and, you know, and, and sometimes I'd wonder, you know, are they going a little bit too far with this? And, and you know, but uh, the last time I watched it, I thought, no, there's not any question anymore. Can I tell you, there's no question in this. These ladies, he brought them in. He spent the night, he slept with these ladies all night long, one after the other, one after the Again, don't have time to talk about all the negatives and all the, all the reasons why that is wrong. But it's wrong. And I mean, this is what Esther was brought into. And she was a subject. She was being brought into this. And she had, and, and she, she had to do this. She was going to be, at, 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 at best, or at worst, she might have ended up just being a member of his harem. Because once he slept with her that night, nobody else could sleep with her. She would be part of his harem, one of his concubines, his secondary wives. I mean, this, is a hor- this is a horrible thing that she was raised in and that she was totally immersed in. How in the world can you maintain true north in the middle of this? But she did. And you, and you saw, we said when she, her time came to come in, she found favor in the king's eyes more than any other. And he made her the queen, put the royal crown on her head, and she became queen of all of Persia. But the story wasn't over. Okay, now she had this uh, uncle, and you saw his name there a few moments ago, Mordecai. So Uncle Mordecai, now I, I don't know how old Mordecai was, but he was, he was a geezer like, you know, you see all these guys sitting out. I, I mean, I remember years ago, I hadn't seen him in a while, down at Warrior, you know, there was, a, 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 there was some kind of a, a I, don't, I don't remember what the store was, but all these, there's always four or five guys sitting out there. I mean, you know, they're telling stories, they're, they're trying to one-up one another and all that, you know, and if you go and you just sit down a minute, I mean, they'll tell you a couple of stories and want you to tell them one another. I mean, that, that's kind of what Uncle Mordecai was. He liked to sit out at the king's gate, at the gate of the palace, and, and just talk to everybody that came through, anybody that sit down. And, and so he got to know a whole lot of people, and while he was there, he began to discover that there was a plot to assassinate King, king Xerxes. And so he uh, went and, and he sent word to, to Esther, now, nobody knew that Mordecai was her uncle, and nobody knew that she was a Jew, but Mordecai was a Jew. And he sent word to Esther, and he said, you need to tell your, tell your husband this. And so she sent word to her husband. Her husband had it, had, it, uh, had it investigated, and they found out that, yes, there was this plot. And so they had those two men uh, hung that very day and killed. And this was written down in the chronicles or the, the journals of the king, and that's going to be important in just a few moments, so, so hang on here. But there was, this, there was this one man, while, while Mordecai, Uncle Mordecai was hanging out there in the street, there was this one man named Haman. Now Haman, he, was, he, was, he would look like, the way I read this, he was the right-hand man to Xerxes. But Haman hated the Jews. And one of the reasons he hated the Jews was Uncle Mordecai. Because every time uh, Haman, who, who was, had an ego almost as big as Xerxes, one, every time he would come through the streets, Uncle Mordecai was sitting there, and everybody else would kind of nod or bow, you know, and, and just a little bit to Haman. Not Mordecai. And Mordecai, because he was a Jew, he knew that I'm not supposed to bow to this, this evil man. I'm only, I'm only supposed to worship God. I'm only supposed to worship Jehovah. And he would never bow, but he would just stare at Haman as he walked by. And it made, it made Haman mad, mad enough. It made him so infuriated that he went to the king and he said, King, you got a problem in your kingdom. Now, he, he was smart enough to know if, I, if he said, I got a problem. But he said, King, you got a problem. There are some people, these Jews, okay, now listen to this. And here you're going to get a little bit more of the picture of being immersed in a society and a culture that's nothing like yours. He said, there is a certain group of people, these Jews, 
and they've got their own way of doing things, and they will never follow you wholly, completely, totally, king. And so your kingdom will never be secure as long as they're doing because they're doing things their own way. Because they've got their own God that they worship. And they believe that their God is greater than you, king. And they will never totally serve and honor you. And he said, what are we going to do about it? And he said, here's what we're going to do. I suggest that we pick a day and we make that day be a day that all Jews can be killed. They, you know, the Jews that are, 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 are against you and they won't follow you, that they can be killed. It'll be legal for them to be killed and all of their stuff be taken. And the king said, that sounds good. Let's get rid of those. And... and Look at the society that is here, the culture that is here, a hatred that has grown to the place that the Jews, the people that if this, was a, if this was a blessed society, the Persian Empire, it was blessed because the Jews were there. And they hated the ones. And that's what's going on in our, our country today as well, is this nation is great today because there were people who believed and trusted in a God to make it great. And yet today now, I mean, the, the, the laws are being passed to, to tear down everything that you and I and, and, and Christianity stands for and, and basically rip the guts out of everything that this country has believed for over 200 years. And what do you do about it? What do you do about it? Do you give up? No, we got to stay on true north because God's got a dream for us. God's got a purpose for your family. God's got a big, beautiful plan that he wants to fulfill in you. And it's not going to happen if you succumb to, the, to, the, to the, uh, the, the inner emotions of the compass of this society and culture that we're growing up in and we're raising our kids in and that we're living in today that is constantly being changed by the secular variations of this world. And so they did this. Mordecai, of course, he sees them. I mean, they're hanging posters all over the kingdom now. On such and such date, it is legal to kill Jews. So Mordecai, he takes off his clothes. He actually tears his clothes, rips them, and he puts on burlap and ashes. Puts ashes on his head. And he begins walking around in, in the courtyard and near, near the palace. And word gets back to Esther. Now, she hasn't seen the posters because she's in the palace. She's protected. She doesn't know about this. But she hears that Mordecai, Uncle Mordecai, he's walking around, and she says, oh, my goodness, if, if the king were to ride by him and, and see him dressed like this and wailing like he is, the kingdom would say, nobody's supposed to be wailing in my kingdom. He'd probably have him thrown in jail. So she sent him some clothes. He wouldn't wear the clothes. So she sent word to him, and she asked, what's wrong? Why are you in mourning? And he told her about it. Now, this, you know, this went back and forth. They weren't talking to one another, but they, she had a go-between. It wasn't quite as quick as, you know, text. Any of y'all text? You know, that's pretty quick. Wasn't that quick? I mean, it took a while. This, this little exchange went this way. And she said, and so he told her what was going on on such and such date. And Haman has done this thing, and Haman is going to kill us. And, and because Haman is mad, it means he's going to kill all Jews in, in, in all, of the, all of the empire. And she said, oh, my goodness. Well, I don't know anything that can be done. He said, yeah, I know something can be done. You're the queen. You can go to the king. You have found more favor in his sight than anybody else. And she says, I can't do that. And she told him or probably reminded him because he probably knew this, that anyone who went to the king without being invited first did so at the risk of death. And she said, I haven't been, I haven't been to the king in days. I, I haven't heard from him. He hasn't called for me. And if I were to just go in. And then he says something that uh, is probably quoted more than any other, play, any other thing in the book of Esther. Is he said, he said, listen to this. Now listen to me. Okay, I'm in the middle of telling this story, okay? But I want you to listen to Pastor for just a moment. I want you to understand this. Here's what God is going to do. God is going to do what God has purposed to do. Somebody say amen. 
And if he has to find somebody else to do what he has called and gifted you to do, he will find somebody else to do what he has called and gifted to you to do. His purpose is going to happen. And if, and if the purpose in your life is not going to happen, he'll make it happen in somebody else's life. And that's what Mordecai begins to tell her. It says, if you don't stand up and do what is right in this time, God's going to find somebody to stand up and do what is right in this time. And who's going to lose out? Not the people that God wants to bless, but the people that God wanted to call. And you need to hear the call this morning and stay on your true north and don't be swayed by all the other stuff that you've got to do this week and that I don't have time for God. And man, I love what Britton said just a little while ago. That, I mean, if you're not getting there, maybe it's not because you, you, you're not here right now. Maybe it's because you hadn't been here all week. You hadn't been in this place. And so Mordecai said, if you don't do it, God's going God's to save us because we're his people. We're the apple of his eye. But it's going to come from somebody else if you don't do it. And he says, who knows? If possibly, God has made you queen for such a time as this. She said, gather everybody you can. Spend three days in prayer and fasting for me. And I'm going to get all the, my servants, all my ladies around me, and we're going to pray and fast for three days. Some people, you don't understand fasting. Let me throw this at you really quick. What, what fasting is is saying, I don't want to eat right now. What I'm hungry for is this thing i got to have from God. And there is nothing I am more hungry for than this thing I've got to have from God. This thing I'm asking about, this thing I'm praying about, I'm more hungry for it than, than the best food in the world. I'm more hungry for it than going to see the, the, the latest movie out this way. I am fasting. I am I'm putting self, all this stuff aside. I'm putting myself aside because I've got to have this. She said, pray with me for three days. And so on the third day, she goes to the king. He goes to the king. When she walks in and she, he sees her, he hasn't called her. And so everybody stops for a moment, and he reaches out his scepter, which means, come on, everything's all right. She goes to him, and he says, he says what do you want, Esther? And she, she, says, she says, King, uh, or she says, uh, I don't know if she calls him husband or whatever. I think she calls him, oh, King, or oh, my Lord. She says, she says, if you love me and I found favor in your sight, and if it pleases you, I want you to come to a banquet tomorrow that I'm preparing for you and Haman. And so they agree. Now Haman goes home. Haman, man, he is all excited. He doesn't realize she's a Jew. He's all excited. She wants something for the king, and she's going to ask the king at this banquet, and yet then he wants, he wants, she wants Haman to come also. Man, he's so excited. He goes home. He's telling his wife. He's telling his kids. He's telling all the neighbors. Man, the king has been invited to a banquet at the, at the, at the queen's palace, and, and only one other person has been invited, and it was me. Man, he's so excited. The next day he goes to the banquet. Toward the end of the banquet, the king says, Okay, Esther, what is it you want? She said, Bear with me just this one time. And if you will, you and Haman come back again tomorrow. And they say, okay, we'll come back tomorrow. So now Haman's on his way home, you know, and he's still kind of excited about it. But on his way home, he, walk, he walks by or rides by Uncle Mordecai. And everybody else, you know, is loving and enjoying Haman, you know, and Haman thinks, man, I am the, I am the third in the kingdom. The king, the queen, and here I am. I'm right up under them. I'm the most important person besides the king and queen. And he's so excited, but he sees Mordecai, and it just, it, it just irritates him to death. He gets home, his wife said, well, how did it go? He said, you know, it went great, but he said, I am never going to be happy as long as Mordecai is alive. She said, well, why don't you kill him then? Why don't you erect a gallows 75 foot high in our backyard, and you can ask the king tomorrow when you go back to the banquet if you can kill him. He says, okay, I'll do it. He sends the servants out. Go start building the gallows. Is this building the gallows? Uh, as they're building the gallows, you know, people are noticing. People see this happening. Now, that night, before the next banquet, Xerxes can't sleep. Some, sometime early in the morning, 
You know, and maybe, you know, for a king, it might have just been 9 or 10 o'clock. Who knows? But, I mean, sometime early in the morning, he couldn't sleep. And so he called someone to read to him, and they brought the journals of the kings, and they were reading to him. And as they were reading the journal, they got to this place where, where Mordecai had discovered the plot and had saved his life. And the king said, wait a minute. What was done for this Mordecai that saved my life? And they said, we didn't do anything for him, king. We just wrote it down here. He said, who's in the courtyard? And they said, well, Haman's out there. Haman's gotten here early today because, you know, he's going to the banquet. He's here early. They said, bring Haman in. And he says, Haman, I need an idea. I've got somebody that I need to honor, and I want you to give me an idea. Now, Haman, he's thinking, wow, my goodness. The king is about to do some great honor to me, and so he begins. He's thinking, now, this is a way I can really get back at Mordecai. I can make Mordecai really see how much the king loves me. And he says, here, king, here's what you do. Get, get one of your robes and get one of your crowns and get your horse and put the robe and the crown on this person you want to, that you want to honor and put him on your horse and have one of your highest princes lead him through town saying, thus and such shall be done to the person that the king wants to honor. And the king said, that's perfect. Go find Mordecai and do that to him. Uh-oh. I mean, this isn't, this, isn't just a, this isn't just funny. This is scary. Because he has just erected a gallows to hang the person. Here's what, he goes and gets the robe and he gets the crown and he gets the horse. And he is leading through town saying, this is the man the king wants to honor. And what he's not saying, and he's thinking in his heart, and I have built a gallows to hang him on. Can I tell you something? I don't, I'm not going to have time for these, those last four points there, Chase. But I'm, I'm trying to work them in in the middle of this story. But can I tell you something? There are some things that only God knows. That's why you need to be following true north. Because he, yeah, he sees, he sees the gallows that your enemy is building for you tomorrow. But he also knows of the honor that's about to be brought into your life that is going to lift you up above that gallows. As he finishes leading uh, uh, Mordecai through the streets, he gets him down off the horse, he hurries home, and his wife can tell something is wrong, something is wrong. And he tells her, tells her what's happened, He's, and she says, if you have already started to fall, you will be destroyed by this Mordecai. She prophesies to him right then. And as he's weeping and crying and wailing, something, oh, this is going in the wrong direction. The king's servants come and say, it's time for the banquet. Now, the king's servants get there. Think about it. When they get there, there's a 75-foot gallows hanging there. If they don't know yet who it's for, I imagine they probably say, what in the world is that? They're finding out. Okay, so now they go to, they go to the banquet. At the end of the banquet, uh, the king says, okay, Esther, uh, you know, what is it that you want? You know, here we are the second day. What is it you want? And she said, all I ask for you is my life, the life of me and my people. Because someone has devised a plan to wipe out my entire family, my kindred, my whole nation. He said, who would do such a thing? Now, she could have said, King, it's you. You're the one that gave him and let him do it. But she, she was wise. She knew that that wasn't the one that did it. She said, is this Haman? She pointed the finger. That's why she wanted him there. It is this Haman right here. And she, when she told him and explained what happened, and that she was a Jew also, the king was mad, and he stormed out, and he just wandered around in the palace, no doubt cursing and yelling and screaming and realizing how, how this, this man. And see, he had issued an, an, an edict that could not be reversed. He had put, this king had allowed a, a price to be put on his own wife's head. So while he's out there ranting and raving and trying to figure out what he's going to do, Haman realizes, man, I'm in a mess. And so he falls down. He says, you got to help me, queen. you got to help me, Esther. Please forgive me. Help me out of this. Show me some way. Give me, and, and he falls across her bed, maybe across her lap even. And at that point, the king comes back in. And he says, 
Will you force yourself on the queen, even with me, in the same house? And he calls and has him arrested. They put a, you know, put a bag over his head and they're leading him out. And one of those servants that went to pick up Haman that day at his house said, uh, uh, King, by the way, Haman has a gallows in his yard that he was going to hang Mordecai on this afternoon if you gave him permission. He said, that's good. Hang Haman on the, on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. And so he had, he had Haman hung on the gallows that was prepared for Mordecai, and he gave, he gave Mordecai all of the household and the goods and, and, the, and, the, and the finances and everything that he had. He gave all that to Mordecai, but there was still the problem. And you got to get this real quick before we close, okay? There was still the problem that the edict was still, all those posters were all over the, all over the, the kingdom. They were still under, under, under death penalty. And so what are they going to do about it? The king took that same ring off his finger that he had given to, to Haman to write that bad edict, and he gave it into Mordecai's hand, and he said, write what you think is good. And so Mordecai went and wrote, and here's what he wrote. He, they wrote an edict that the king said, it is lawful for the Jews to stand up and defend themselves. you got to get this. you got to get this. He didn't say they are now free. Nobody can harm them. Nobody can touch them. That's what we want, right? We want to come in and say, God, please. You know, I, I got all kinds of problems in my life. God, please, you got to deliver me from all this. No, here's what God does. Is God says, I will give you permission to stand up. I'll give you permission to stand up in my authority and my power. Come on, listen to this church. I will give you permission to stand up. And when you're walking out in this secular society, when you're walking out in this culture that doesn't believe me and doesn't trust me and doesn't want to go after my way, when you're walking around, I'll give you my authority to stand. And you know what happened? God turned the victims into the victors. And they weren't just unconquered. They became the conquerors that day because everybody was so scared to death of the Jews because what they had seen God God do in their sight to Haman, the one that stood against them. They were all scared to death, and the Jews won hands down because of the power of God. Amen. Give God a hand of praise for that. Because that's what God wants to do in your life. Chase, as quickly as I can, I want to show you these things real quick. These points. If you want to stay on true north, position yourself with what only God knows and who you are. Do you know who you are today? Do you know who you are today? Secondly, prepare for the dream with expectation. You know how long she, she cleansed herself and she perfumed her for 12 months? Before she went in to see the king, she had 12 months of purification and, and, and anointing her body with, with myrrh and the aloes and all the perfumes. Thirdly, Pray the dream into reality. You need to face your opposition. I don't mean, you know, if you're mad at Britain, get over here and stand in his face. I mean, you need to get on your knees in prayer and face your opposition. You need to name it. You need to say, it's Haman, God. This is the one that's come against my family. You got a battle in your family? You need to point it out and say, this is what it is. Name it. Call it to God. Get in his presence. Find out what, and say, God, this is what is tearing my family apart. This is what is destroying my family. Name it. And ask God to deal with it and do the right things. Remember Noah, he had favor with God. Why? Because he did the right things. Esther had favor with the king because she did the right things. But you're looking for favor with a king higher than Xerxes. And so, so uh, you want to pray. You want to uh, fast. You want to seek wisdom and then approach him. And then the last thing is possessing the dream. Spiritual warfare does not end with amen. Because like Brandon, these other graduates, 
You can pray all you want to, but you still got to get up and walk out there in the middle of a culture that is being impacted by secular variation every single day, and you got to stay focused. And the only it's not going to end with amen. You're going to have to face some spiritual warfare as you walk the campuses of your of your colleges or your high schools, as you walk down the halls of the businesses that you work in. You are going to face that. You're going to have spirit. It doesn't end with amen. Choose the right kingdom because here's the thing. One of these days, all of this is going to be gone. Your cars are going to be gone. Your houses are going to be gone. Your finances are going to be gone. The Declaration of Independence of the United States of America is going to be gone. The, 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 the office of President of the United States is going to be gone. The highest court in the land, the Supreme Court, is going to be gone. And when, when all of that happens, and when all of this is not, and all of this we look back and say, well, how foolish some of this stuff was. You know, the only thing that is going to matter is what kingdom you're standing in that day. And you've got to make up your decision, right, make your mind up right now, make your decision what kingdom you want to be standing in that day. You, you're not going to be able to make that decision that day because you need to be in that kingdom right now. And still facing true north. Stand with me. Come to the front, if you will. And let's close this morning. Down around the front as well. As we normally do. Amen. Jesus. Let's press on in. Let's get everybody down here in the prayer area that we can. Y'all come on. I'm going to ask you a question. What area, that last thing, choose the right kingdom. What area of your life is not standing in the right kingdom today? You know what? That may be that same area that you need to point out and say, that's my problem right there. That may be the area of your life that's not standing in the right kingdom. Then fix that. It may be your whole life. If you're not a child of God, then your whole life is not in the right kingdom yet. If that's the case, pray. Let's pray about that. Let's fix that right now. Say, God, I, I want to be in your kingdom. I want, your, I want you to, the blood of your son to wash away every one of my sins. If you're a Christian, you can be a Christian for 40 years and still have something in your life that you're holding away from the right kingdom. You're keeping that over here. I'm going to keep that close to me. I'm going to handle this one, God. You fix all the other stuff in my life. I'm going to handle this one, God. Every part of it, every part of it, it's got to be in the right kingdom. Make a decision right now. I want you to do two things. I want you to make a decision with me. And I want you to pray over that decision. I want you to give it all to God. And then I want you to email me this afternoon and say, say, Pastor, confidential. Pastor, I want you to be praying with me because this is the area of my life that I put in God's hands today, that I've been holding back. Maybe it was your whole life. Or maybe it's just one area. Maybe it was your kids. Maybe it was your, your, your marriage. Maybe it was your finances. Whatever it is. Your job. Something. Email me this afternoon. Let me pray with you about that. Let me pray with you about it right now. Bow with your heads with me. Close your eyes. What kingdom are you standing in right now? Jamie, go ahead when you can. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. Don't start singing until you finish praying. What area of your life do you need to stick right in the middle?